Who on this earth has done what God has done, could do what God has done? Some people worship other people. Some people worship themselves. Some people worship wooden idols. Some people worship their comfort and their sins. But there is no one else like God. And my heart is convicted as I sing that song and I think about the moments of intense celebration that I give to like my favorite football team and the men who are corrupt and under sin and who bodies that are deteriorating and I worship and I praise what their fallen cursed bodies can do. Oh, he gained 15 pounds of muscles and he can run 15 miles per hour. Yeah, he go, look at him go! But our God put the Andromeda galaxy in the universe and it's hundreds of billions of light years away and he holds it all in the palm of his hands and yet we become routinely numb to who he is let's pray God forgive us each and every one of us our praise it always falls short of what you deserve God our understanding falls short of who you are God we put other things above you And though we sing, there's none like you. Sadly, I feel that our hearts do not believe it or we forget it. God, we're asking that you would stir in our hearts, that you would create the affection and the passion and the desire for you because without you doing that in our hearts, we will turn to other things that are lesser and worthy of no praise. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you've done alone. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest. It's good to see brothers and sisters. And uh, I count it a privilege always to be up here and to give you God's word. We are continuing our series in Ephesians, Built Together. And I want to turn your eyes to our banners on the wall. You're going to hear us talk about this constantly. You guys are going to get sick of it. But you're going to understand for sure why they're there. The first one is God's presence. And we have the word under it, transcendence, with arrows going up and down. Now, some people here talk about God's presence as, hey, God's presence here with us. We're, that's not necessarily what we're trying to point our eyes to. What we're doing is we're looking into Scripture, and the clouds are being parted, and we're looking into the heavenly places where God resides. Jesus has accomplished His work, and He has sat down at the right hand of the Father, and He is in heaven And so we're turning our eyes to heaven where he is. And Paul is opening up the book of Ephesians and he is giving us information that is found within the heavenly places. Information that if if we are not able to look there and see and understand, we will never be able to grasp it. So God's presence is first and foremost. We must transcend the horizontal surroundings and information and the ways that we live in. And we must look vertically to where God is and to the things of God, right? We're told to set our minds on things which are above transcendence. Why is that so important? Paul understood this in the book of Romans. He said to be changed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because that's what changes people. Transformation. But we run to transformation all the time. We try to start there. And you know what happens when we try to start there? We do it in our own strength. We go to, we go to methods that are outside God's methods. We go to knowledge and ways that are outside that. And we hit our head against the wall trying to transform and then wonder what's wrong with me. 
what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be changing. Paul understood very clearly that change comes by the renewing of our mind. And that the knowledge of God's word, the supernatural knowledge that is imparted to us, literally changes us. And so for us to spend months looking at transcendent knowledge and getting into the presence of God and understanding who he is, is not a waste of time. It is the first and foremost thing we have to do if we want to see change in our lives individually, which then leads to a church built together. Paul uh, Charles started part one of transcendent blessings. We look in Ephesians chapter one and Charles introduced it and we got to see the first two blessings that God gives. Looking into the heavenly places and looking to see particularly what God has done and specifically not what we have to do. Do you understand that? Charles pointed out that there's no command in the first three chapters. You can find one maybe in chapter three, but it's loosely a command. Paul is specifically spending time talking about who God is and what he has done and who that means we are in him, our identity. And so this is what God has done. Think about Paul, though, for a second. I, wanna, I, want you to, I, I want you to think about Paul and who he is and what he's been through and where he's coming from. This is the man who had the opportunity to look and to gaze into the third heavens. And he got to see things beyond anything that we've got to see. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, because he got to see these things, he got to peer into with his eyes into the third heavens, into the heavenly places, and see the wonder and the majesty of it. God literally gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. The revelation of what he saw was so great that Paul said, in order for God to humble me, he had to give me a messenger of Satan to make life a little bit harder. Because Seeing what I saw, life would be totally easy for me to go through. I would never lack anything. I would just be looking forward to what's coming. So God actually literally gives me a thorn in the flesh to humble me and keep me grounded and dependent on him and not on the revelation that I gave. If this is the guy who got to look in and see how great these things are that God has given us. And so when he writes them, he understands, man, if you guys can just get a little bit of what I saw, If you just understand, grow deeper, deeper, deeper into the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for you. You will love him more. Your zeal for him will grow. You will be transformed in the person that he wants you to be. You must know him. That's why we have scriptures throughout throughout the, uh, commandments throughout the scripture, like continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul prays elsewhere, especially in Colossians, I'm praying that you would be filled with the wisdom to know these things. The first two blessings that we saw last week and the response to these blessings was praise. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to do the same thing today. We're going to look at what God's given us, what he's done, and we're going to praise him. And we're going to be moved by it. And we're going to ask God to move us. We're going to ask us to give us greater understanding of him. The first transcendent blessing for believers was the fact that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world, chosen us in Christ. God has intimately known us and loved us before we were even born. I want you to think about the life that we're living like a script, like a movie script. God has written it all. We're living real time. We're living it out. And we are all purposefully, intentionally created by him, playing a part 
in the story that he's written, the greatest story ever told. And Revelation has already completed it. John actually got to see the Revelation. So it's not like God has set things in motion and he's just hoping things turn out. No, you have been intimately chosen before the foundations of the world in Christ because he loves you. And that should lead you to encouragement and confidence of your security in him. The second one was the adoption to sonship. God has adopted us into his family, taken us as orphans or from a different family and made us a part of his and given us the benefits that a son would have. And we get to see the wonders and the beauties that come along with that. And today we're going to continue these transcendent blessings and rejoice at what God has done. Charles had mentioned, he said, take Take a bag of things on earth that are, that are worthy and valuable to you. Set it on the table, right? Set it on the table and then take the things that God is giving us here, which one's more valuable? Without a doubt, we all would admit that the things God has given us is eternal. They, they far outweigh these things, but yet we so badly want to hold on to them and not let them go and to think that somehow we'll be unhappy or, or unfulfilled or unsatisfied if we don't have these things. But in light of what God has done, we should have no problem letting go of the bags of things that are perishing and passing away to look into the heavenly places and to marvel and to glory and praise God at what he's done for us. All a work of God. You will find 15 times throughout the book of Ephesians in him or in Christ. Paul is very pointedly trying to show us that all of these things are from God. Nothing to do with us. Nothing to do from us. They're all from God to us. We are the recipients of his love and his grace. Paul wants to make sure God gets all the glory. So let's get into our third transcendent blessing. Yes, we've been chosen in Christ. We've been adopted as sons, and we've been brought into the family of God. But in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, we see that we have been given redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. We have been redeemed. It says here in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I love the book of Ephesians. We could spend all time right now, and I'm actually going to spend a lot of time here on just this verse. The first thing I want you to look at, everyone peer down at this verse. Peer down. Look where it says in verse 7, in him we have redemption. Who is him? It is the beloved. It is Christ. In him. There is no salvation There is no redemption. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is nothing that is from the heavenly places that is apart from Jesus. And as we sit here today as brothers and sisters, we all would point to Christ. But we all must test our salvation to make sure that our salvation is true. Because if we're relying on anything else for redemption and justification, and salvation, all of those great things that God... If we're relying on anything else other than faith 
in Jesus, we are still lost like the rest of the world. Let me help you break down some walls. Test yourself, the scripture tells us. Test yourself. What are you relying on? What are you hoping will part the gates of heaven and allow you to get in? What are you hoping will bring you into the presence of God? What in your core tells you, yep, I'm going to heaven because of blank? Well, the family I grew up in, always a Christian, always going to church. I've studied this Bible back in and back out. I witness all the time. I tell people about the Lord all the time. I know it. I haven't missed a day of church in so long. I'm staying faithful to it. I I volunteer at church all the time. When I see a need, I go straight to it. Hey, I'm always letting people over to my house. I'm always praying for people. There's so many things, so many things that I see that are happening that I'm doing, and I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. So many things that I'm doing, I'm doing in the name of Jesus. Jesus himself knew that there was great deception, great deception in the world, and great deception in our hearts. And so Jesus said, there will be many in that day. What day? The day of judgment, when we all will stand before him. Many in that day that will say to him, Lord, Lord, listen to the, listen to the vocabulary, confessing, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not in your name do many wonderful works? Did we not volunteer? Did we not go to church? Did we not do our devotions? Did we not live the life of a Christian? And Jesus will say, depart from me. You that work iniquity, I never knew you. There was never a personal relationship. You were never mine. Never. You were playing the part the whole time. Your salvation was in yourself. Why? Because the very reason you're giving to me to let you in is look at the great things that I've done in your name. And you've deceived yourselves by doing things in my name, thinking that they will open the gates of heaven for you. Ephesians tells us in him we have redemption. In Jesus alone, nothing else. Everything that we do in his name should be the outflow of the outflow of the salvation he's already given us. So I think it's, in, it's important as we go through this that we not gloss over the in him. And if Paul would talk to churches as well and he would tell them to test their salvation, to understand this, to check yourself, we can do the same. Brother and sister, what are you relying on to open the gates of heaven for you? Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone. Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone. It says here, in Him we have redemption. In Him we have redemption. When you see the word redemption, what you, want, what you need to think of is the word freedom. You need to get the idea of being in prison and being released from that prison and being given Freedom. The fundamental idea of redemption is that the setting free of a thing or a person that has come to belong to another. If you look in the Old Testament, you can see where this comes from. 
when someone would be bought into slavery and one of, those per, one of that person's family members, their kin, could buy them back and they would be their kinsman redeemer. They could buy them out of that slavery and purchase them back. When we see the word redemption here, think of freedom. That's what God has done for us. He has set us free. All of us stuck in prison. Now let's think back, right? Corey prayed for us. He prayed for the sin and he told us to, to go back to a time of our life. Do you remember what it was like to be enslaved to sin? And Romans 6 says that whoever you yield yourselves to, you will be a slave to that. If you yield to sin, you'll be a slave to it. If you yield to God, you'll be a slave to it. What are we being redeemed from here? We're told that we're of our father, the devil, before we come to Christ, the prince of the power of the air. He is our father. We live according to him. He's the prince of the power of the air. We're told that we have been enslaved to sin, and because of it, we die. And we've also been told that we are a slave, and we're a slave to the requirements of the law. Our father was Satan. Sin was our master. And we were under the requirements of the law, which the scripture says, no flesh can fulfill. But in him, we have been adopted to sonship. We have a new father, God the Father. He's brought us over. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, from Satan, and brought us into his family. In him, he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of of God in him in Jesus we've been set free from the bondage and the yoke of sin as well as from the law Jesus being the perfect lamb of God not abolishing and doing away with the law but coming and teaching us that the law was even greater than we expected it was even more demanding than we could even imagine and he fulfilled it completely and the law, God's law, will reign forever. Not, none of it will pass away. But we've been delivered from the requirements of it. We've been set free. We've been redeemed. I just got back from vacation. Great vacation in Missouri. It was hot. I felt like I, I traveled in time back to July. It was very hot. And one thing I thought of as I was preparing this message was my little daughter, Emery. She's in a car seat. And she was constantly enslaved in bondage to a car seat or a stroller. And why was she enslaved to these apparatuses? Well, for her safety. We were constantly going places. We were in the car. All of it was for her safety. But you can see after a while of having to be in that state of bondage, she learns to do this little like back arch, like and she like slides out of the seat and you like can't get her out and you have to like karate chop her in the stomach to get her to bend and fit in. And it's like, no, you will be enslaved to this and you will stay here because this is protecting you. It's not fun to be enslaved to something. Her slavery was good for her, protecting her, even though she didn't realize it. The slavery we were in was detrimental. When you are a slave to something, it's your master. You cannot get free. What it says, you do. Where it says to go, you go. What it says to think, you think. There is no release from slavery unless someone buys you out of it. 
So in Jesus, he paid a price for us. And the scripture tells us that. Do you not know that in 1 Corinthians 6 it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He's given it to you. You are not your own. Why are we not our own? We don't belong to ourselves. Someone else owns us. Why? For you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. You belong to another. You haven't been redeemed and set free just to wander this earth aimlessly. You've been bought out of a horrible situation of slavery and been made a servant and slave to God. And now you belong to him instead. Now he's your master. You yield to him what he says you do. Where he says to go, you go. What he says to think, you think. This is redemption. What's the greatest movie ever made? I'll tell you. The Shawshank Redemption. Thank you. Thank you. Now, it's a pretty rough movie. I'm not saying go watch it. I'm not condoning some of the things that are in it. But what it shows very clearly is the sad state of being in prison and the horrible things that go on there. And then it's a story of escape and redemption from a situation where someone was innocent and thrown into that place. Listen, we rejoice in watching that movie, but we deserve to be enslaved to sin. We deserve to be back in the place where we were. That's where we deserve to be, under the condemnation of God. Unable to fulfill the requirements to be in His presence because we are sinful and we've all sinned and sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. We would die. That's where we deserve to be. And so when we hear that God has redeemed us through Jesus, in Him we have redemption We should rejoice. Mark tells us that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, how did he redeem us? How did Jesus redeem? In him, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. This is very important because without blood being spilt, Scripture says there is no forgiveness of sins. Without a sacrifice in our place, there is no forgiveness of sins. Do we realize that our redemption, when we were bought with a price, do you realize that that price was the price of someone dying in our place? Imagine with me. Take a journey with me. I want you to go back in time. I want, to, I want you to put yourself in a situation. Imagine me this, with me this. Imagine you're holding down an innocent goat. Are you with me? You personally. You're holding down an innocent goat. You bring a knife out and you place it to this defenseless, innocent animal's throat. You feel in that moment the goat jerk, kicking its feet. It knows something's wrong and begins fighting for freedom. Your stomach tightens as you feel the weight of responsibility. You must do it. Your sins have piled to the heavens from the previous year. Yours along with the rest of the people, your friends and family. It's up to you, the high priest, on the day of atonement to enter the Holy of Holies after slaughtering this goat on behalf of the people. God's wrath has been building alongside the wickedness of the people throughout the year and payment must be made. You take a deep breath, hands shaking, you pull the knife. As you look away, you notice something's wrong. It wasn't hard enough. The lamb is writhing in pain. You just lacerated its skin and inner tissue. 
Your instinct is to drop the knife and run. You're terrified and would give anything to be anywhere else. Heart racing, you're fighting to control your breathing. Panic is setting in. Wait, wait, you can't. This must be done for you and for the people. Breathing deep and tightening your fist around the knife, you push as deep as you can through skin and muscle, cutting deep into the vitals of the neck. Horrible sounds of grunts and escaping air overcome you. Looking down, you see blood gushing from the wound and covering your hand. You fight the urge to gag. You try to compose yourself as you watch and feel the life leave this beautiful animal. At that time, you're reminded of the wrath of God that your sin provokes and quickly realize that the covering of your sins does not come or happen lightly. Death is required for us to live. You fall to your knees in disgust at yourself because your sins, while praising the steadfast love of the Lord who provides to cover for you. Quickly you realize this must happen daily and you know that soon you will fight to remember the raw emotion of this moment as the ever invading darkness of evil and wickedness will fight to cloud your heart and mind, molding it into a seared, unmoved, conscienceless, desensitized shell of a person. This too will become another once moving, now numbing routine of life and you'll forget while you're doing it. God, please don't let me get used to this. Church, have we forgotten the fact that Jesus had to spill his blood for us To pay for our freedom. It's supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be gross. It's supposed to be hard to stomach because that's what it takes for our sins to be cast as far as the east from the west. That's what it takes to redeem us. That's what it takes to secure our eternal inheritance. That's what it takes to rescue us from the pits of hell. That's what it takes. A perfect sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why we take communion. That's why Jesus told us to take communion, to do this in remembrance of him. This should ever be before our eyes. We should always be overcome with the weight of our sins, but also overcome by the steadfast love of the Lord to slaughter his only son in our place. Why? Because he loves us. Undeserving of it. That's what it takes. And if we've become numb to it, unmoved by it, it's become routine. That will affect who we are and what we do. That will affect us. You see, the people on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, they would fast on that day. They would fast because they knew that it was important for them to feel the weight of their sin and to appropriately feel the right type of emotions in that day. Hey, hey! something is having to die in my place. And the other goat, the sins would be passed to it, and the goat would be cast out in the wilderness, never for those sins to be seen again. A beautiful picture of what Christ came and did in the better covenant fulfilling that. You see, the blood of bulls and goats, as Hebrew tells us, only covered sins for a while while God's anger would build with the sins that would build the next following year. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus died once for all. His sacrificial death on the cross not only accomplished not only accomplished what he came to do, but it appeased the wrath of God once and for all, forever. And it took our sins away 
didn't cover it. It took them away. And like the goat that was cast into the wilderness, never to be seen again with the people's sins cast on it, Jesus was condemned for us and suffered the wrath of God for us on our place. And his blood had to be spilt in order for us to be redeemed and set free. Have we forgotten that? Are we now unmoved by it? Do we feel in our guts, God, I'm not moved by this. I no longer seem to care about it. I hear it, I hear it all the time, totally unmoved. God, you've got, you've got to remind me. We need to get on our knees and repent. Let me give you an illustration maybe to help us to understand the weight of our sins. Imagine if you had a, an app on your phone and anytime you were going to indulge in a pleasure or a sin, you had to go on this app and you had to scroll through a list of faces of little baby boys and you, you picked your sacrifice and once you were done sinning, that little baby boy had to be killed in your place to out, undo what you just did. You see, that's what it takes for our actions of sin to be forgiven. Something has to die. But God has given us his son. Jesus has set us free. We no longer have to be enslaved to sin. We're no longer held by it. We're no longer condemned by it. Jesus has died for us. And our redemption, our freedom has been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. Praise be to God. Yes, we should have a somber feeling in our gut and we should feel the weight of our sins. But that should quickly be overwhelmed by the glory of what he's done. You see, last week we've been chosen to be a people holy and blameless. Why? To the praise of his glory. All of scripture. You see it all throughout scripture. God's doing what he's doing because he wants people to praise him and glory him. It's like God's up here and he's saying, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look at it. But yet we treat God like I do my two-year-old who comes to me with a drawing. Oh, hey, yeah, that was great. Yeah. God's saying, look what I've done. We should be jumping up and down and rejoicing and praising him and screaming at the top of our lungs in excitement. Leviticus, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Never forget it. We take the cracker and we take the cup. We remember that our eyes and our mind needs to go back to Jesus on the cross and to thinking of what it took to secure our freedom. Our response should be thanksgiving and praise and respect and reverence. Look what it says here in verse 7. Keep going with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. What, what, is the, what is the result of redemption? The results of redemption are twofold. One, first, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Not like the old covering. Not like when uh, goats and stuff were sacrificed and God's anger was just kind of squelched for the moment. No, Jesus comes and he brings actual forgiveness, cast as far as the east is from the west. Corey preached about a better covenant that came through Christ. He's able to take away our sins. 
What do we have with redemption? We have the forgiveness of sins. How do we have it? Look at this. According to the riches of his grace. Listen, church, this just keeps getting better. As you read through Ephesians 1, it's just going to keep getting better. It's just going to keep being thrown on us. According to the riches of his grace. Let me help you understand this word, according to. Picture a rich man. He's going to give you some money, and he gives you $10. Okay? He gave you out of his riches, $10. Now, let's say a rich man comes to you and he gives you $50,000. Now he's giving according to his riches. Does that make sense? So when the scripture says we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, God is giving out of the abundance and the riches of his grace. And how much grace does God have? You tell me. How much grace? Unlimited, right? We can't even stretch our arms far enough, right? It's not to the moon and back. It's, it's not to the sun and back. It never comes back. It, it, it's forever. His grace is unlimited. Unlimited. John tells us this, for from his fullness, fullness, God's fullness is infinite. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. You know what picture you should have in your life? You should have the waves of the sea hitting this shore. Boom, 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 boom. I could keep going. It never stops. According to the riches of his grace. And what is grace? Well, you've heard it probably before. God's riches at Christ's expense Right, So these blessings we have, God's poured out on us because of his grace. He's giving us what we do not deserve. We don't deserve it, but he's giving it to us. Why? Well, if you look back in verse 5, because of his plan, this is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to do. He wants to give us this. Paul tells us in Romans 5, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is so powerful that when it comes to us growing and understanding, that's why we have to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Jesus Christ because it is the grace of God that changes us. It is the grace of God that changes us. Titus 2 says this, that Jesus appeared and grace along with it. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright lives in this present age. What is the answer to changing? Living self-controlled, having uh, ungodliness removed from us? It's the grace of God that has appeared. It trains us. What do you mean by that? What I'm saying is it's different. When you have an obligation and you have to do something, like under the law, you have to do something. It's a lot different. You're not as motivated by it, right? Oh, I've got to do it. And you're always going to fall short of that. But when you're motivated by a supernatural imparting that God has put in you and the outflow and the pouring of the Spirit in your life is coming out out of appreciation, gratitude, and thanksgiving and praise because of what God's done for you, you gladly, you gladly set aside the things of the world for Him. That's how God transforms our hearts. 
His grace. He's given us the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So it's infinite. His riches, they never go out. So it's a picture that abounds. It stays there. It never goes away. There's no amount of sin that you can do that will do away with it. His grace will always outdo it. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice is greater than your sin. Jesus' sacrifice is greater than your sin. And when we wallow in our sins, we're saying that our sin's more powerful than his sacrifice. But it only gets better. Look at this. According to the riches of his grace, which he what? Look at the next part of the verse. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavished upon, I don't even know if I could illustrate to you the word lavish. It would just be like if I had like a bucket of water and I just dumped it all on our head, right? It just, it's completely thrown on it. Like just, just, just thrown, just, just covering us, just thrown on us. Just go, go. His grace, according to his riches, have been lavished on us. We should be excited. So the results of redemption or the forgiveness of sins, but also this wisdom and insight. He says this, which he lavished upon us, according to the rich of his grace, which he lavished upon us in verse eight, in all wisdom and insight. Bear with me. I know we're talking about a lot, but I want you to stay with me. Stay with me. Another result of being redeemed and being bought, being chosen, being brought into sonship, having these uh, gifts. One of the other results of redemption is wisdom and insight that which enlightens us with the understanding of his purpose. Wisdom has been translated, this type of wisdom can be translated and has been defined this way. The knowledge which sees into the heart of things, which knows them as they really are. Not just academic or intellectual. And then you compare that with the wisdom and the insight of the world. It's different. Insight being the understanding which leads to right actions. So along with redemption, God has awakened our minds and our hearts to be able to understand things and to know things otherwise we would not. Without him, we would not know. The Spirit gives illumination. illumination. Paul talks about this in Corinthians, that there are, there, are, there, are, there are things that the natural man cannot understand because they're spiritually discerned. It's the only way we can understand it is through the Spirit. Barclay puts it this way, Christ gives men Christ gives to men the ability to see the great ultimate truths of eternity and to solve the problems of each moment of time. It goes beyond just regular knowledge. And you can see this anytime you try to talk to someone about the Bible. I was actually had the opportunity to talk to someone the other day and actually share the gospel with them. And you know what the response was constantly? That makes no sense. That makes no sense. I don't get it. That's, nope, doesn't make sense. Nope. I'm sitting here thinking like, what do you mean it doesn't make sense? I just said it. I just explained it. It makes perfect sense. We're told that the gospel of Christ is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness. They're going to look at it and say, this is stupid. It's foolishness. You see, the world boasts of its own wisdom and insight that they have, right? We've, we have this. We've come to this knowledge. We have it. And God loves to put to shame the wisdom of the world. He loves it. Right, And so he takes weak people, he takes something that's foolishness to them, he puts it inside these people, and now these people will flourish. They've been given all of these blessings. They will be the ones that seemingly suffer and get the short end of the stick in life. But at the end of it all, which we're going to see in a little bit, God gives everything to those who believe. And they are the victors. They are the ones who have the truth, who know the truth, and live according to the truth. And the wisdom and the insight that comes along with redemption 
is the godly wisdom and insight. And the insight is what gives you the ability to act on those things appropriately and to live your life according, according to the life of Christ, being conformed to his image. You see, wisdom and insight comes, one, supernaturally, but it also comes to those who desire it. You've got to desire it. You've got to desire it. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. God has given you these things. The results of redemption, forgiveness of sins, wisdom, and insight. Very important because we'll see here in the later in chapter 1 that Paul was praying for them to have deeper understanding of these things. He was praying that they would understand these things deeper. Imagine if I gave you a box and I said, if you're able to sift through this box, bear with me, y'all. If you're able to sift through this box... Go through everything, study everything in it, you'll become a perfect person. How compelled would you be to, to understand and go through the contents of that box? Pretty compelling, right? Oh my goodness, I'm going to start right now. Paul knew that growing in the understanding and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus changes you and makes you into the image of, the, image of Christ and who you need to be. And so we have to grow in our knowledge of him. We never stop learning about him. The type, not type of, type of knowledge that leads to arrogance, but the type that changes us. Wisdom and insight. Finally, this, the final blessing that God has given us. A bright, bright future. The bright, bright future. Ephesians 1, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. What is that word mystery? Simply this. It's defined in chapter 3, verse 6, which we'll talk about at a later time, but I'll read it now. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is the which and the, 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 the salvation and the redemption and the way that God has secured it through including everyone, Gentiles, Jews, man, woman, free, slave, whoever it is, everyone can be included into the salvation of God, and he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that is being revealed, specifically through Paul from God to us. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to what? According to his purpose. He does what he pleases. Luke 12, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's just his good pleasure. He does what he wants to do, and thank goodness what he wants to do is to love us and to give us these things. All of these things that we have are contingent on God loving us and doing it because he wants to. He's not obligated. He's not forced. He's not reluctantly providing for us. He hasn't been bribed. He's not just in a good mood. No, God has given these things because he wants to do it. And finally, this, verse 10, he says this. He says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, 
and things on earth, which would imply that right now things are not united. Things are not at the end. Things are separated from God. Things are corrupted. Things are not as they should be, but God has written the story, remember? And the plan is, the plan is at the end, I will bring everything and unite it to myself in the sense that I will make everything right. Those who are mine will get the victory and they will get the eternal life that I've prepared to them. Those who reject me and who are evil and of their father, the devil, will suffer their recompense and eternal separation from me. The enemy will be destroyed. He will be taken care of. The heavens and the earth will pass away and all things will be made new. The Alpha and the Omega, who does currently reign, will be proven to reign in the eyes and the ears of everyone as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, be prepared. Your future is bright. He's planned it out. You already have the victory and we get to watch these things unfold. And he set forth this plan in Jesus. And he will unite all things to himself. Right now the world has fallen, but in the end God will vindicate his son and all of his. God's transcendent blessings. We've been chosen in Christ. We've been adopted as sons. We've been redeemed through his blood. And we've been given a bright, bright future. And God has done all of this according to his good pleasure. He loves us. So what's the response? The response, church, is nothing but Simple, genuine, affectionate praise. God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's looking, he wants, and he desires our affections. So church, as a result of the things we've heard this morning, let's give God our heart, let's give him our praise, and let's sing to him, sing to him genuinely because we love him and are thankful for the things that he's done. Let's pray. Father, It's already overwhelming enough to know that you would allow me to even stand up and preach your word. But it's 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 to the point of exhaustion to think about all that you've given us. You've hold you've held nothing back. You've set us free. Someone had to die in our place, and that was your son. You set the plan into motion, and you've given us a bright future. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we forget these things and we make them routine and we don't let them change us. We don't let them affect us. But God, you've got to move in our heart. And as Paul prayed, you would open the eyes of our hearts and enlighten us to these things and move us to become people that you want us to be. Let us be a sweet-smelling savor in your nostrils as a sacrifice of praise to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.